Hello, and welcome to the December bonus episode of Asians Represent. My name is Daniel, and the conversation you're about to listen to took place at Metatopia last month. Now, this episode was actually released a month ago uh, on Patreon. So if you want early access to bonus episodes of Asians Represent and exclusive content, head to patreon.com forward slash one shot podcast. This month's exclusive episode is actually a big announcement. So you're going to want to hear it. So head over there, become a patron of the network, support podcasts like Asians Represent, Backstory, The Broadswords, and way, way more. But enough of that. Enjoy this episode. It's a conversation with Mariam Ahmed, uh, who is the creator of, you know, in the early stages of creating a South Asian-inspired fantasy world for 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons. We came to this con and I realized that you're you're currently an alpha for a D&D world book yeah. and what well, is essentially a com- world. an original world yeah. and a companion module to go alongside it to kind of take players through the world. Yeah. And like we're at Minotopia and there's not a lot of D&D here. No, it isn't. Which is cool. I mean, it is called Indie Game Designers Network. So D&D would not have much of a home here. That's not to say it's not welcome. It's just this is a place where indie games can happen. And I've seen a lot of PBTA games more. If anything, it feels like a PBTA convention. Turn this around so that's facing you. See that logo? Oh, okay. This way? Yeah. There you go. A lot better. Awesome. <laughs> Let me know. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I it's it's crazy that I mean, yes, this is indie, but it what you're doing, even though you're using a mainstream game, is also kind of indie in its own sense. And that your world book is something that that is not on the market. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's one of those. I I aim to correct that, and I hope it is. I'm not trying to do historical fiction. Uh, because if that's the case, then um, I'm sure there's stuff you could find. I just wanted to bring fantasy, uh, but it's my culture that does it in a way that is from my heart and from my passion and is still sensitive. And it f- it's something that, yes, I wanted to be something that non desi people could enjoy but i also want something that a desi person because there's very few of us uh who are gamers too or at least we don't know where to find each other they could be near well they could be listening to this episode right now and being like holy shit well there's something for us yeah and and I want them to look at this book and go like small little, it's the mundane things. It's the little details and be like, oh, yes. You know, it's like so stuff like that. Can you, for the audience, and because not everybody might know what Daisy means. Okay, so I like using Daisy because it is a term that um, Daisy people, and I will further explain it, uh, <laughs> used to be a little more inclusive because when people say Indian, it then goes to what is now modern India and it excludes Pakistan and Bangladesh but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of overlap with Pakistan and Bangladesh those three countries made up a good portion of British India I'm pretty sure I'm probably skipping Nepal but I I need to fact check and I will get back to you otherwise just cross that little bit off no 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 we'll we'll put it in the show notes we'll put (laughs) it in the show notes Um, but uh, but yeah um, and it's a way to be a little more inclusive 
of those that are part of the similar culture but are not from uh, not Indian nationals. Yeah, so cu- cultural boundaries rather than modern geopolitical boundaries. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Okay, so, so people know that you're you're kind of working on a a work of. D&D fiction. I want to say D&D fiction, but it's really like fantasy. Y- fantasy. You you're taking cuz so I have two copies of the Forgotten Realms campaign setting. Mm-hmm. I have the original AD&D box set. Mm-hmm. And then I have the 3.0 or 3.5 yeah. Forgotten Realms book. I have that, those as well. And and they're great. Yeah. But and they're Ed Greenwood's sort of world. Yeah. But it's very much like a Eurocentric world. Oh yeah. And then when you see any of the other supplements they are attempting to integrate parts of other other cultures. But it's a very much a white perspective. Exactly. And sometimes very poorly done white perspective. I would say not sometimes, but oftentimes very poorly done. <laughs> I'm being very generous. <laughs> <laughs> but you're mitigating that. Yeah. You're doing your own thing. You are producing, and, and what we always say on the show is like, you're producing the work that you want out there. Instead yes. of asking for other people to do it, instead of being outraged, at the works of other people, you're you're going, no, 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 hold up. We need this, and I can make it. So here it is. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, when I first started playing D&D, and I wasn't like 10 years ago, Yeah. I instantly wanted to GM, but I did feel 3.5 was super crunchy. And I had ideas, but I really, I, I, I got overwhelmed more often than not. Um, by the crunchiness of it. And there's this a little bit of stubbornness in me of it's like, oh, because, you know, you don't like the crunchy stuff because you're a girl or, you know, you... Maybe because I don't like spreadsheets. Yeah, it's like, um, I want to just play in the world and just bring out out laptops because literally at, at most of those games, and I'm sure anybody who's played those games immediately um can connect with it it's like uh you you need a table really that's really big to accommodate like seven laptops oh yeah i mean <laughs> for, for me i mean i started playing D in 3.0 and then i kind of went yeah. backwards um and went to like ad and but 3.0 and 3.5 are really special to me because i really liked that crunch and i know that that's rare now but yeah. i really like that crunch but I like that crunch because I didn't have a lot of people to play with when I was younger. I didn't have a lot of people to play with. So the part of 3.5 and 3.0 that really appealed to me until I started playing Pathfinder with people mm-hmm. was that I could just make any character I wanted. Oh, yeah. Like the the one thing I love about 3.0, 3.5, and which was such a big disappointment for 4, 4.0, oh, yeah. I completely skipped that, um, was that you could, with the 3 million splat books that were there, yep. you could make <laughs> anything. And I I have made ridiculous builds with that, and I yeah. had fun. In fact, I think most of my fun came from character concepts more than playing sometimes. Oh, same here. My fondest memories of 3.0 and 3.5 are all from character creation. Oh yeah. Not not from really campaigns. Like my funnest campaigns all came from fifth edition. And it's focused on narrative. Yeah, and, and that I've never actually played any of the three point five modules, official printed modules or anything. They were all those homebrews. And the best part of those homebrews was my first DM was a queer POC who was my brother by choice. Mm-hmm. Uh and they were the one who introduced me to uh, to D and D, and I was like, "This is amazing!" And and 
they incorporated their own they like they're they're from Pakistan they incorporated stuff from their own culture into it and and I was like this is awesome I get to I get to make up my own world and I started doing that as homebrews and then I realized anytime I played official modules I felt a little sort of like an outsider in terms of I'm making a character that is Eurocentric and then playing yeah. in a Eurocentric world and I want to play me not necessarily me in real life but I want to play I want to pull from my heritage I want to pull lore and weapons armor yeah gear. That's, and, that's me. <laughs> and then cool backstories that sort of are stories that I grew up hearing and listening and I'm a huge Bollywood geek do you know there's a movie coming out in um uh, coming out soon that is essentially Daisy Pirates of the Caribbean. I'd watch the shit out of that. I have to tell, I have to introduce you to a friend of mine. He's actually working on an RPG that kind of allows you to play out Bollywood movies. Yeah, I heard about it in that episode. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, I really want to introduce you to, and also because you're not that far from Toronto. I'm not. So and we'll, maybe we'll make that happen. So many people have sort of been saying you should come to breakout that i'm probably coming to breakout and i'm i'm in talks with some of the movers and shakers there i don't know like it's still a work in progress so i don't want to confirm i'm coming but i really do want to come i really want you to come to breakout yeah (laughs) because we often one of the things that my friend and i were, were talking about next year at breakout was like we should probably do a panel on you know diversity and you know gaming. I would totally be interested in that I would I would or, do that or representations of Asians in gaming we could actually if you're gonna go we yeah. should just do a whole an Asians represent panel and this time hopefully people will show up instead of live streaming werewolf look I I <laughs> my biggest regret of Skycon was that we didn't record the audio from our D&D game oh that was oh my cheeks hurt because that was it was so good that was so much fun that and was so good so so let, let's go back to what you were yeah. saying about you know playing D&D modules and playing characters in a world where you really didn't feel like you belonged. What I've also found interesting about D&D modules, especially those that take place in like the Asia the fictional Asian continents was that <laughs> you're not really playing a character from those worlds, you're playing an outsider who's coming to help these people. Oh yeah. And that and that in itself is problematic. And, uh because this is audio, uh, you probably didn't see me roll my eyes. <laughs> you could you could feel the eye roll. <laughs> yeah. And you pro- you listen, you the listener probably also rolled your eyes as well. <laughs> and, and and yeah. When when I the, the second the first episode Orientalism yeah. throughout the entire thing when I was listening it, oh my god, I was rolling my eyes so hard and at the same time I was like, "Yes." It's it's true <laughs> like when we when we recorded that episode, I had all these books out on the table. <laughs> And Agatha hadn't seen a lot of them, so I was just like handing them across the table to <laughs> Agatha to, to show her. And I was like, yeah, these are the, these are the kinds of things that I grew up with, right? And you know, as I've gotten older, there are so many things that like I really want to travel to India. That that's one of the places in the world that I really me want too. to travel to. Be, but one of the things that kind of prevents me from going is that I have a nut allergy. So I'm allergic to like the cashews and things like that. Oh, and and okay. the cuisine would literally kill me. And so so yeah, that's the that's only true. thing that's holding me back. But when I so I read this amazing book um, by um, an artist and writer who used to work for Pixar named Sanjay Patel. And he actually had a Pixar short called um, 
Sanjay Superforce. It's about yeah, it's about I haven't seeing, seen it yet. I really wanted to see it, but it's it's one of those I'm waiting for Netflix or something similar because I've missed it in the theater. Well, it's and not it's going on him. Netflix because Disney's doing their own streaming service. Yeah, and it's almost <laughs> impossible to find if you weren't there when you uh, at the theatrical release yeah. of whatever project it was attached to. Yeah, and so until they make another compilation, until they the, do another one, exactly. Yeah. And so he, I saw that, and I saw his work, and he released a kids book and it was an adaptation of the ramana so it was like it was like rama trying to defeat ravana oh, and yeah. i read it and it was it certainly abridged it was shortened and but it was wonderful because i kind of got to learn all of the the major characters in it and i had never read anything about diwali or Oh, yeah, like, these are a lot of things that I want to touch upon. And I definitely want to include because it is fascinating. Yeah. Um, Dandia, do you know what Dandia is? No. Okay, so Dandia, and I'm sure I'm going to mangle it because I it's one of those, there's all these things I've started researching and I need to research more so I can be sensitive and respectful of the things. And also, I don't want to get death threats. Um, Nobody wants that. um, But... Dandia essentially is, um, and this is what a friend told me a long time ago. And um, uh, and and Dandia is um, part of this festival called Navratri, which means nine nights, mm-hmm. and it's done primarily in the Gujarati community. Okay. Although it's sort of pan Indian people like everybody uh, everybody wants an excuse to party so <laughs> it is popular all over india but specifically it's by the gujarati community and uh it's nine nights of dancing with sticks it's sort of like line dancing and like circle dancing and it's just brilliant and, and you have sticks? and you have two sticks and um you basically um tap them together and i'm so like i just You're i just want to do the, the hand motions and I, and 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 i don't want me to go like wee um, <laughs> like that but um uh you basically have two sticks in your hand that are about the size of drumsticks right uh, and they're made of either wood or metal and i have some metal ones at home from my high school cool. when i went for one of those parties and uh you just dance the night away and my friend had told me it symbolized essentially the nine nights uh, the nine days and nights of a battle and those sticks are basically soldiers fighting but like now the, it's the a cla- dance party like the clashing of swords yeah the clashing of swords and now it's a dance party super cool <laughs> yeah and it's gorgeous like just google dandia and just watch stuff i mean i mean even if if you could incorporate that into like a dnd world oh it's so evocative it is and when i was i went when i was you know reading about rama and how rama has this magical bow and you know ravana is this in, this demon with all these heads and all Dead these heads arms. yeah and 20 arms <laughs> yeah and their epic battle and hanuman who who carries the himalayas to bring yeah. medicine back i'm like this is a dnd campaign and i love it and i want and i want to play this and that's not even touching upon uh, Draupadi and the yeah, Five Kings and so all of those. so many others. And it's so epic. And Bahubali, oh my god. Like, uh, there's memes where they take scenes from Bahubali where it's like ridiculousness, but it's like totally things that would happen at a D&D campaign. Oh, like, yes. Um, uh, Bahubali and uh, his friends basically attach themselves to a catapult and rock them over the enemy wall. And it's like this ridiculous montage. Uh, I mean, it's, and it's it's like the things a level one character would do when they <laughs> approach a fortress and they're like, how do we get in? Let's shoot ourselves over the wall. 
all. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> um, and and Bahubali is on Netflix for, for anyone and with captions for non-Hindi speakers. And we say this as both Canadian Netflix users. Yes. We don't know about American Netflix. <laughs> I'm, I think it might be American uh, because a lot of times things that are on uh, um, the American Netflix library seems to be more expensive than the Canadian. But okay. at the same time, um, I think there's less Canadian content. Uh, okay, because I know that American Netflix just got Kim's Convenience. Oh, I love Recent- that show. Oh, so great. Oh. So great. I had a chance to talk to Simu Liu on my other <gasps> podcast and it was enlightening just like talking about similar things to what we're talking about talking about creating spaces to represent ourselves because nobody else is going to do that and we have to do it for ourselves and with what you're doing because I I really want you to I know your projects in alpha right now oh yeah but but like what can you what can you tell the audience about it um so What's this it is, called? What? what is uh, well, it? it's a working title, Sir Zameen, uh, and it may change, but I think uh, I think one of my biggest hang-up, and this is something that I don't know if you experience, is when you try to name stuff and you name them in something that makes sense in your own language and tongue, but then when you try to say it to white people, it it's sort of like I almost start self-doubting myself while I'm thinking of saying the word and then I sort of mumble it out and then it just feels weird and I see blank stares and I'm like oh my god this is a horrible name okay we're naming the the world Bob well we're picking the whitest name possible <laughs> no I, I mean unfortunately like everything that I've created right now has been you know using English words yeah um, so I, I haven't really struggled with that um, but I mean I'm- and the other thing is um, it's sort of uh, some of my naming conventions especially since it's a work in progress I probably yeah. hopefully I can sit with someone who's better at naming stuff because naming is my kryptonite same here I don't know what the uh, what the what the language level is but one time I was put on the spot for naming two wolves that our party had gotten attached to and I was like uh, uh, breeder and penetrator <laughs> Um, so yeah, don't depend on me for names. Do not call me for namings. I'm, I'm terrible at naming. Um, so I'm I'm, work, I'm also working on a fantasy world, um, but it's inspired by all of the world cultures that are actually on display at the Royal Ontario Museum. Oh wow! And it's this like big project that's I've been working on with my my, my writing partners for like five years, <laughs> and we're nowhere near done. Oh yeah! And so, naming is killing me because you have to think that like. I want these names to be culturally appropriate. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to be appropriative, and I yeah. don't want them to perpetuate any stereotypes. Yeah, and it's it's very difficult. Well, you can always run them by me. I mean, I may not come up with ideas, but I can certainly help with the. Is this uh, does this sound wrong? Sort of a thing. Yeah, and, and I think with your work, once it's published, it provides a benchmark yeah. for people who want to create similar content i hope so i think right now my biggest um and that's why i'm so excited about it yeah my thing is that serves a mean if anybody has an inkling of knowledge in urdu or hindi uh it literally means all land i.e world so i'm literally naming my world world that's cool though um the world yeah it's the world it's the land yeah and uh right now there's a mountain called parbat which is literally means mountain nothing wrong with that and the town's called mountain town but it's parbat i like that and it's one of those 
maybe it's just my personal hang-up and I can I can hear miles away my husband going yes it's your hang-up um <laughs> uh hi carl uh, <laughs> uh but uh I always want to giggle because I know it it's like blank stares it's like oh that sounds so great and I was like it literally is mountain down this person is literally called lord this person's literally called prince their name is means prince so, so what word do you use for prince um so there is raja rani uh, and i think maharaja maharani is more like high king or right. like or high prince or high princess and then there's also I am having a complete brain fart right now, but there is something for like sort of young prince or young princess, right. sort of. Oh, sorry, young king or young prince, a uh, young queen, which means which essentially means princess or prince or princess. Mm-hmm. See, that's interesting. How like you have a like a linguistic understanding uh, behind the reasoning for each name, but the let people me who... start on relationships because I had to do this when I got married. Oh yeah, of uh, um, we. We literally have, a, at least for Hindi, Hindi and Urdu speakers, this is where I can come from, is we have literally a one-word relationship, like a word for a relationship, and we know exactly how they're related to them on which side of the family tree by It's just it. like in Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so we're not, we're neighbors, so yeah. there's a lot of overlap. There was a lot of culture contact, too. Yeah. And, and trading. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I tried to, my, my girlfriend's white. Yeah. So I, I was trying to explain to her this, and I found a video online that explained it all. Yeah. Uh, the YouTube channel is called Off the Great Wall. And I kind of showed it oh, to her. Oh, that's a great name. Yeah, I know, eh? <laughs> and she was like, okay, I have to watch this like 10 more times just to kind of get your family. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's really complicated. Yeah, it's like, um, so if like, I was like, oh, I met this person and they're, they're my, um, uh, they're my mamiri bhai, which literally means they're my cousin. And the way we're related is, is that um, my mother's brother's kid. Yeah. But th- that's similar to what you what you see in a lot of the yeah. like Eurocentric fantasy. It's like, oh, I'm Aragorn, son of Arathorn, and it just keeps <laughs> going. It's like, well, you're just going to say it in one word, and that's how you're related to everybody. Yeah, and if and, anything, it's more efficient. and and there's this one. Um, this is actually a cool, slightly cool thing where anybody who is a Hindi and Urdu speaker and English is their second language. And even though mine, I'm English as a first language, all of my, I guess, mother tongues, and I'm using air quotes here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I learned when I was 15 or 16. Oh. And mainly osmosis of watching movies and being around. There, I had this very weird setup in terms of languages growing up. My mother and father, and it's actually very common in a lot of expats, and I'm an expat. I was born and brought up in Dubai, and then I immigrated to Canada when I was about 25. Um, and uh, they would speak to me in their mother tongues. My mother's Urdu speaking, my dad's Bengali speaking. So they would speak to me in those two languages. And I would reply back to them in English, and we would have this conversation where I understood what they were saying, but I always replied back in English, and they would always talk to me in Urdu or Bengali. And it's not like they did it's not like they didn't know English. Their English is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. But um, they are at home, it's like their time to essentially, you know, let everything hang out and not worry about put, uh, put that energy into yeah. translating. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's this weird thing where I can mostly translate on the fly. So if there's no subtitles in a movie theater, I'm just whispering everything that's going on to my husband. <laughs> but it's pretty annoying for everyone around us. I'm needed. This is important. Yeah. You translate. Yep. <laughs> See, that's that's cool. My, my parents, they only ever spoke Chinese to me when I was in trouble. <laughs> and, I, and it was always in a tone that was like, well, I'm clearly in trouble. It, it's like how um, in white families, if, you're, if your entire name, including your middle name and Christian name and all that stuff is spelled, it's, you're it's in said, trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I also have like the whitest middle name. My, my, my full name is Daniel Howard Kwan. And my brother is Jamie Matthew Kwan. And my mom has an Irish name. My mom's oh. name is Eileen. Eileen oh. Kwan. Because the, the, when my grandma gave birth to my mom... She wanted to give her an English name, and she didn't know how to speak English at the time, so she just said whatever that nurse's name is, and that oh, nurse wow. was a, was an Irish woman named Eileen, and so that's why my mom's name is Eileen. It's a pretty name. It's a very pretty name, and my yeah. dad's name is Howard, like my middle name, yeah. and he that's his the name he chose for himself because it kind of sounds like the way you would say his Chinese name, and so he he just picked Howard, and it's so it's so interesting how we we kind of. Like stick to our own languages, or or selectively use our own languages, like yeah. like kind of like what you were just saying. Yeah, and and I think because of that really weird, I don't think my parents did it on purpose. I think it's that's just how it happened, and it enabled me to. I'm not realizing it. It enabled me to code switch very easily. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's. I mean, it's impressive. But that also means I sound probably just as bad as a white person when I try to speak my language although I think I'm getting better I'm not as bad as some of my friends who never who never spoke I have a friend who is dearest dearest my 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 sister by choice uh-huh. um, who was very bad at languages uh, took Hindi as their second language never spoke a word of it and I and she was worse than me uh, taking Bengali and that's saying something really, really bad. Okay, uh, okay. Like I was pretty bad. I, I didn't want to take Bengali. I was forced to take it. And um, I managed to barely pass when it came to like the O-level board. I come from a British education system. Okay. Yeah. So O-level is equivalent of grade 11. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, so when the O-level results came out, it's very Harry Potter-esque. Yeah, I was like, is this like the owls? It is. It's actually it, the owls and the newts are basically O levels and A levels of okay, the British cool. system, and A levels is twelfth and thirteenth. So like God, Harry Potter. Like, yeah. Like that's that's a whole episode. Yeah. So O levels. Um, I I got an E, which is like just the bare bare passing mark, and I was going around going woohoo, I survived. So are they like D? Like, uh, yeah. Is it all the same letters, but they also have an E. They have an E for you. Barely, like you bet met the basic requirement. Okay. Um, and I was thinking, oh my god, my friend's gonna fail, and she comes in with an A, and I'm just like, my jaw has dropped. I'm like, <laughs> wait, you don't speak a word of it. You never, you, you're really bad at it. How did you get an A? And it's like I just use big words. <laughs> <laughs> See, my my grasp, my, I'm very bad at languages. Like I. My parents speak like a so like a like a dialect of Cantonese, mm-hmm. and I I kind of picked it up. But when I was working in China, I needed to learn how to speak Mandarin, yeah. and so I took like night classes, and it was just not for me. I should have just, you know, 
like paid a tutor to just like converse with me or something. So when I finally went to China, I knew basically next to nothing. And it was like, it was the most profoundly lonely experience not being able to communicate yet looking like you can. Yeah, I, I, I've had that. And there's a question I want to ask because certain languages, at least in India, they have a basic root from which, even though it's a completely different tongue, you can kind of get along right. and understand it um, and maybe make sense of it. How how different was Cantonese from Mandarin? It, it's tonally very different. Like, like for it's, me, for me, they're like mutually unintelligible. Okay. Like I wasn't able to use, I barely knew any, used any of my Cantonese when I was doing Mandarin. I mean, that that's just my own take on it. Okay. But I, I don't see them as, as, I don't, I don't, I didn't see using Cantonese as something advantageous to learning Mandarin. If anything, I wish I had a blank slate going in. You would have been able to develop a ear, ear for it and. I think so. I think so. And, you know, I didn't really grow up listening to Mandarin, so I never had an ear for it at all. Like, if yeah. I was watching movies, it would be like, oh, it's, it's in Cantonese, because I was watching, yeah. like, Hong Kong cinema. Yeah. Um, if I was listening to, like, Asian music, I wasn't listening to music in Mandarin. I was listening to, like, K-pop and, like, J-pop, and that's, yeah. like, that's not Chinese. Yeah. And so I, I had no ear for it. And so it was the hardest thing for me to actually produce the sounds in my mouth. Yeah, and, and it gets... It, if I wasn't watching, like, in the background, my mother would watch uh, really good Pakistani dramas, which were in Urdu, and uh, uh, also, uh, you know, Bollywood songs. And the thing is that I, there's this game called Antakshri, where it's a singing game, and it's, I guess the equivalent, it's like a riff-off in a way. Oh, okay, cool. But the way the game works is it's like an alphabet game, where you sing a song, and then the last consonant or like sound um that the song ends on you must begin the next song starting with that oh so it's like like a game tag and um in the past it would be just folk songs and people made up uh like songs people created like literally proper riff off like a rap battle sort of yeah yeah that's that's Um, the first thing that came to my mind um but then uh uh with bollywood and like literally thousands and thousands a library like a huge library of songs people just use bollywood movie songs yeah and that's what modern anthakshri really is and when i was like nine or ten i used to hear so many songs and i could basically mimic it by just like learning the sounds like for example if i really liked a k-pop song and i heard it all the time i could probably mimic it but i wouldn't know what well, I, I, can, I can definitely do yeah. that. And I was doing that for the eight-hour drive from Toronto here. <laughs> yeah, so it's like nine or ten. I I was like really good at playing Antakshri, but I don't know a single word of any of those songs. You could, you could just say the sounds. Yeah, well, yeah. The, they say that like I, I, I read somewhere and, and if I'm wrong, somebody tweet at me and tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> um, I read somewhere that like around the ages of 11 or 12 is when you're kind of hitting that peak of being able to pick up languages. Oh, yeah. Because you're just... You're so you've got you've got that neuroplasticity. Yeah. Right. And I, I kind of want to like continue talking. I want to talk more about languages and all this with oh, you. Yeah. But I also want to talk about your setting. So like, okay. This is like you got to get me back here just for languages. I know we we should do that. I mean, yeah. Have you want to just do another episode on languages? Because I think that would be so cool. I would totally. I would. I would brave Toronto to come and do this. <laughs> I mean, we could also come to Kitchener. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> But like you could, you could even meet my cats or like oh. 
Yes. Okay, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you, you know, in 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 India and in Bollywood, you you see like music and theatrics are a big part of the pop culture. Yeah. Are you bringing any of that into? Oh, into totally. Your game? As much as possible. Sometimes I wish though that the. Um, I'll let that finish. It's yeah, no, game. it's all good. No yeah. worries. Okay. I mean, this is this um, is a con episode, so yeah. <laughs> expect it to be sounds nearby. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, going back to that, I I wish that a printed book could have this auditory, almost three D three D element of like sorry four D I guess is where you include 40, time. Yeah where you include time, um, this 4D element of like song and dance, I'm, but my compromise, like my, uh, what is it, half happy as, as um, might be a bit of, anyways, never mind, I'm not going to get, get okay. into where it's a spoiler from, um, but um, uh, my happy compromise is hopefully getting a kick-ass artist to get that vibrancy and, yeah. and uh, I do have like a filmmaker background and um, a lot of my filmmaker student work was sort of an homage to the cinematography and the vibrancy and like the beauty of Indian cinema. Oh, yeah. And um, I want to like some of my mood boards at the moment and things that I'm sort of using while I'm figuring while I'm talking to artists and working stuff out is taking screenshots of like iconic songs where the period, like I want to set the period. And um, I can talk a little bit about it because that's one of the things I'm super excited about yeah. is I want to talk about, um, there's a particular faction I'm working on, which is courtesans. And it's very heavily influenced by a couple of movies where they featured courtesans and um, like Bakiza, Umrah Jan. Um, and very, it's very stylistic. And those are very um, iconic movies in Indian cinema and they're like movies in the 70s and 80s right? Um, that featured lives of courtesans and it was definitely pre- in like 1800s and um, courtesans are sort of I would say analogous to say companions like in Firefly or yeah. like Geisha's yeah. um, where it, they're I mean yes they probably would sleep with their patrons but it was not about prostitution per se it was about um, being companions yeah. and these courtesans essentially taught social graces and the arts. Just like in Firefly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just like in Firefly. <laughs> I mean, there was definitely trafficking and a lot of other issues, yeah. but that wasn't just it. Like, it, it was a different time and a very, very unique to that particular part of India. Like, how geishas are very unique part of world culture and it was from one particular place right oh, that's um, really cool and i want to very much incorporate that and also maybe play around a little bit because i don't have to be completely historically accurate no this is fantasy yeah this is like, fantasy this is i can fantasy. take the i can take the bits i like and be respectful that's the key that's yeah. the key and maybe even elevate and empower things like i'm um a lot of the themes I want to deal with is definitely a colonization, mm-hmm. racism, um, colorism, casteism, all those things yeah. within the context of gaming. And I don't want to be preachy about it. I want it to almost be like those who have no idea about all the stuff that happens in Asia be like, 
oh, yeah, you I want, didn't know you, this happened. You want to teach people. You yeah. want to provide knowledge, but also a means to game ethically. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 feel more immersive. And some of the comments I've gotten in a lot of the playtesting I did was that, yeah, it is immersive. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to flesh out, which I won't get into the nuts and bolts of it because it can be a little dry. But um, the feedback that really hurt, like, was heartwarming for me was that I want to buy this book. I, I don't even I don't even know all the other things you're going to do, but I want to buy this yeah, book. My, my business wanna... partner, Daniel, was in your last playtest. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure he loved it. Uh, I, the room was a little hot and stuffy, and I felt really bad for Daniel because he oh, looked yeah. like he was about to pass out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I hope he had fun. I mean, I, and Daniel has been playing D&D for... Like well over a decade, and yeah. and he 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 like grew up doing the three point five, and actually he loves A D and D. Yeah. Um. But he he also grew up working in a museum like me, and so I think he he really appreciates what you're doing. Yeah, and and um, the one nice thing I really liked about Metatopia is I'm really lucky that I've like you, what is it you can swing a cat around and you hit a bunch of really amazing people who give you insightful and um constructive feedback on things yeah and that that's i think is this your first metatopia as well this is my first metatopia yeah, my first metatopia as well and i love this con it, yeah. it, it, it's it's both like i felt like this was more exhausting than gen con for me Oh, well, for me, Gen Con was a different level of exhaustion. I was working the Contessa yeah. area. Yeah, well, I want to talk one... about Contessa next. Yeah. But like, I felt like Gen Con at the end of every day, I was like physically exhausted because I was carrying around all the stuff that I bought. Oh, but, yeah. But here, there's a different kind of exhaustion because I don't want to stop. Oh, no. I, I want to keep playtesting. I want to keep talking to people about their what games. What is this thing you call sleep? I know, right? <laughs> and, and so that's why my voice sounds so hoarse, because I've been I've been talking all day. But I don't uh, want to stop. No, me neither. Uh, I, I mean, I've been lucky so far that my voice hasn't been stretched that thin. But there was one point where I was going from con to con, and then... I literally had hurt to open my mouth and talk. And how was it? How was it that we like kept passing each other at cons? Oh yeah, like Gen f- Con. Gen Con, Queen City Conquest was literally in the same room as you, and we didn't even know we were we were in yeah. there together. It's like I'm always at the Contessa booth. That's where you should find me. Yeah, <laughs> and then we go to this really small convention in Kitchener. Yeah. And play a D and D show. And, and then there and, you are. And also we were panelists yeah. that ended up live streaming Werewolf. And that was so much fun. That was so much fun, especially since I made them out of index cards because I thought I had the game with me, but it was still in my QCC suitcase. <laughs> so, so, so tell me about so, tell, tell me in the audience about Contessa. Okay. Because so you you're, you work on their web team. Uh, yes, I do. I, I, I well, Stacy is a huge part of Contessa. And um, I'm sorry, Stacy, if I mess it up, because I it's one of those, I um, at Gen Con, that was the first time I worked with Contessa, and I loved it, and it's amazing, and Contessa is essentially a place, a safe place for marginalized people to just hang out and not feel the microaggressions and pressures off very white spaces 
Like cons. Like cons. Um, and um, Contessa essentially seeks to uplift uh, marginalized people, have them not just be like, hey, come here and hang out with us, but actually say, no, come run games, take, take charge of this community, be Contessa. Yeah, that, that, yeah. And um, uh, there's a lot of things in the works, um, which I'm not quite sure which parts I can talk about because some yeah, of them yeah. are in development. Um, but essentially, we go to we go to cons. We have a little space where it's a little timeout, and even if you don't play any of the Contessa games, depending on uh, whether the tables are full, anyone can just walk in and just if you need a quiet space or like a place to just decompress you can do that and we have a we have a games library that's completely by donation and also we have an amazon wish list for stuff like that um uh, and oh yeah and the other thing is that we're all volunteers nobody is being paid per se if any donation any fundraising we do it is to goes make sure to the community it goes to it goes to making sure we can go to cons making sure staff and game runners can um get there run their games um and and when we get more money then it definitely helps in reimbursing badges getting hotel rooms getting airfare uh where possible and taking the burden off of you have to have the mobility and money to come and run games with us you're trying to make the cons accessible spaces yes and and very much accessibility yeah um trying to find ways to make it accessible and um yeah and and i i had heard of contessa like a year or two ago and then this year i managed to get to know stacy and it's like hey i want to run a bunch of games and it's like okay yeah sure run games done you're in yeah (laughs) and and there was no i didn't have the feeling of i had to like cred check or like sort of prove that oh yeah i can run stuff or um it was just like you want to run games run games and our only qualification is that um for certain venues there are a lot of places where it's like it doesn't matter just like anyone can game but there is a bit of a focus on making sure that um it is marginalized people who get to go first yeah um and run games and have that space where they can be confident to do it it's about providing opportunity yes yeah that's cool. So I'll be sure that I, I put like all of these Contessa links as well oh, into yeah. the show notes at one shot. Um, we're running out of time, but if people yeah. want to ask you more questions about Contessa or how to ethically, you know, use, you know, Daisy material in, in their games or keep track of progress on your your alpha, eventually your Kickstarter. Oh yeah. And where I'm you're so gonna be nervous, next for cons. I'm so excited. Where can people find you on the internet? Okay, so I'm on Twitter at media underscore junkie. And there's a story to that for another time. <laughs> <laughs> the next time you're on Asians Represent. Yeah, exactly. Now I need to come back. There you go. And, and then for Facebook, um, it is facebook.com junkie. Oh, you got this whole brand. Do you have a website? Uh, no, because every time I've tried to do a website, I've abandoned it. I'm, oh, I'm much okay. better. I'm much better at editing other people's outside, uh, websites. That's sort of my freelance gig. By the way, if anybody wants me to edit their web content or like sound editor or anything, give me a call. Twitter at Media Junkie or Facebook.com forward slash the dot media dot junkie. Call me. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on this con special of Asians Represent. 
Thank you. And thank you for having me. If you have any questions about this episode's theme, the games discussed, or anything else related to Asians Represent, get in touch with us on Twitter at A-Z-N-S Represent or at A-Z-N-S Represent at OneShotPodcast.com. Shot Podcast.com.